Welcome, everyone, to episode one of Film Du Jour, our uh, monthly podcast covering the intersection of food and film. So today we are starting off with uh, our first movie that we're going to discuss, which is like Water for Chocolate, came out in 1992. Sabrina, I know we've been talking about this for quite some time. Uh, We've been meaning to get this podcast off the ground since forever, (laughs) like probably like two or three years, right? Something like that. I think it started with the pandemic because we thought, hey, look, we have all this time on our hands. And then all that time got filled up and stuff happened. And um, yeah, a lot of stuff, a lot of roadblocks kept getting in the way. And we finally were like, no, we're going to do this. We need to make time. And so here we are. Yeah, we've been very persistent. It's been it's I think we just like blinked and it was like two, three years later and we still hadn't done anything with it. Yeah. But, um, you know, we I think we've got to. For this episode, we really wanted to start off with like water for chocolate. I, I don't think there was any doubt in our minds uh, that this was the sort yeah. of the, the if we want to set the right tone for the podcast, it had to be this movie. Absolutely. And we'll talk about why exactly in a minute. But um, just to get some some technical stuff out of the way. So like water for chocolate is originally a book um, written by Laura Esquivel. Uh, I believe she also wrote the screenplay, if I'm not mistaken, Sabrina. Uh, do you, I, I don't know if you know this. I think so, too. I know Alfonso Arau directed it. Yes, and uh, they were actually married at the time uh, this movie was really? was filmed. Uh, I didn't know this until I actually did some research. Uh, I didn't on... know that either. That's... Yeah, they, they were actually married at that time. They divorced in 1995, I believe. So she married El Guapo. <laughs> She married El Guapo. And I was actually for those of you who have seen Three Amigos. <laughs> yeah, I was actually gonna get into that. Yeah. So um Alfonso Arau, well-known director and actor in Mexico, but definitely US audiences might know him better for his smaller bit roles that he's done in movies like The Wild Bunch and Three Amigos, like you mentioned, Sabrina. Uh I I love Three Amigos, so I, I'm really glad that you brought up El Guapo. <sighs> I love that. That's what I associate him with. It's the first time I ever saw him as a kid was in Three Amigos, and I. Same, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That, that I think that was, that was definitely my first uh, experience seeing him as an actor. Uh, but definitely, if uh, for any of our listeners that might be interested in Mexican cinema, uh, Alfonso Arau is definitely a, a good starting place, and. Um, for us as well uh, to start off this podcast so the movie again came out in 1992 and it actually did a really it it swept uh, the country in 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 many many different ways it won 10 aerial awards including best picture and the aerial award is sort of like the equivalent of the oscar in mexico uh it was nominated for best foreign language film uh, in the Golden Globes here in the U.S., and it was the highest-grossing foreign language film in the U.S. at the time. Wow! So I mean, it it, it really it was a. Pretty I mean, I big believe deal. it. I I just I didn't know all that, but I I completely believe that you know, um, that it that it it was all of that because it, it's such an incredible film. It it really is, yeah, and so. 
the movie synopsis, what is this movie about? And this is coming from, I'm going to quote from IMDb here. It's uh, when tradition prevents her from marrying the man she loves, a young woman discovers she has a unique talent for cooking. So there's her connection, food and film. It's a, a film about food and how it plays into this, the, the, uh, the story of several characters, but in particular, the, the main character, Tita. Yes. So, um, like Water for Chocolate, the book and the movie uh, sort of come from this long lineage of, I guess, uh, magical realism. Mm-hmm. And magical realism is this sort of subgenre within literature, and it primarily comes from Latin America. I don't think you really see it too much in other places, but it, it's a primarily Latin American thing. Uh, and magical realism is sort of this idea that you combine people in day-to-day circumstances or like you know regular problems that you might have but then all of a sudden you have this sort of surreal and magical element that creeps into the story and it's a really it's almost like a fever dream of stuff that happens that isn't exactly logical but it ties into the subtext and into the the overall story what is this story about and uh sabrina i don't yeah sabrina i don't know if you want to talk about what the movie is about in detail but um you know we could talk about like who the main characters are and sort of where the food and the magical realism starts to come into play um yeah absolutely and i actually do have the book um like water for chocolate i have the book and apparently we have the movie somewhere we don't know where it is um but uh, i had to just download it last night but uh, the book actually contains the recipes for all the main dishes that um, are surrounded within the love language of the film. Uh, I have not yet made any of these dishes. I, I am really want to try. I just don't have the best kitchen for some of these lavish, uh, delicious meals. But I, it is really cool that the book not only has a story, but it, it does it, it says in monthly installments. It gives you the recipes. Um, But the movie, uh, so the main character is Tita, and she is the youngest daughter um, of Doña Elena. And Doña Elena had three daughters. She had Rosaura, Gertrudis, and Tita. And I think is, remind me, Josh, is Rosaura the oldest, or was it Gertrudis was the oldest? I believe it was Rosaura. Uh, Right sure but i think it was rosaura well the whole thing that gets married right yeah she's the one that ends up marrying pedro so um i guess to try and give you the whole story in a nutshell um so tita is born and the tradition in doña lena's family is that the youngest daughter is not allowed to marry because she is destined to take care of her mother for the rest of her life but Tita falls in love with this young man named Pedro. So Pedro wants to come ask for her hand. And Doña Elena says no, that, you know, it's, it's out of the question because of her tradition, which is absolutely ridiculous. 
Um, yeah, let's, that's a whole other thing we got to get into. Um, but she says, oh, but, in, but instead you can marry my other daughter, Rosaura. She's, she's available, you know? And so the reason Pedro marries Rosaura is because they all end up living in the same house. So if he marries Rosaura, that's the only way that he can be close to Tita. So they're trying to basically sneak around, you know, and see each other. But Doña Elena is like a hawk the whole time. And so the whole reason that food has is become the forefront of this film is because when Tita cooks, her emotions are in the cooking when even when she was uh when she was born, when she came into the world, they, they, uh, the, uh, her mother says, you know, she came in just like with a rush of tears and water. And so all those tears became uh, salt for like a sack of salt for cooking. And, um, but she's so upset that Rosaura of course is marrying the love of her life. So when she's making the cake batter the night before she cries into the cake batter. So everyone, and that is actually one of my, you know, there's many scenes that are my favorite, but, Rosaura, uh, you know, at the wedding, everybody gets sick and they they have they start eating this cake and they become overwhelmed with emotion and sadness and longing for their loved ones and they all get sick from it. So her emotions pour into all of her food when she makes the quail with the rose petals. You know, uh, she her lust for Pedro is in there. So you know, when everyone's sitting around the table eating that, they all start to have that, like you know. They basically all start to get a little horny. <laughs> but Pedro, Pedro gives uh, Tita the roses, right? And yeah, he gives her the roses. The roses and, and uses the petals to make this sauce. Yes. And adds it to the quails and then to the quail. And then when everybody in the family is eating it, they all just get incredibly horny. Yeah, they all. I mean, they don't have an orgy, but... <laughs> Like, doesn't someone like catch on fire or something? I don't remember. Oh, that well, that's part. at the that's at the end. So, um, after so there's that one. So those are examples of every time Tita's cooking. You know, her emotions are getting into the food, and they find this way of communicating through food, basically. Which, to me, I mean, when you when you hear them talk about that, when they say that in the film, you know, Tita and Pedro found a new way of communicating. It, it's such a beautiful thing to to think about that, you know. It's such a love story and that's the magical realism in there, you know, that someone's emotions can trans, uh, I guess, translate into, or what is it? Um, transition into the food and then go into, that's how they can go to somebody else. Um, well, when Doña Elena, so uh, her, <laughs> this scene, Gertrudis, Gertrudis gets so like, she's basically the one that gets the most, horny, I guess you could say. So she runs off to the outhouse because this is the like early 1900s. So they're all bathing and taking a piss in the outhouse. So she goes out there and she takes all her clothes off and she's taking a shower. And as she's taking a shower, all this steam starts to come up and it's all like her love, like it's on fire. So the barn, the the outhouse catches on fire and that smoke travels to these, um, I, what would you call them? They're like generals um, off, uh, you know, shooting some other guys in, in, a, in a stream somewhere. And all of a sudden he gets a whiff of this scent of her lust and he, <laughs> and he starts riding his horse over. So you just see this naked chick running up the plains and you see, 
you know, um, uh, uh, this, I guess, were they calling them? Uh, what was she calling them? Generals or something. Uh, and, and so. She, I think this was during the Mexican revolution, right? Like it was like, there yeah. was a bunch of like, there was war going on. And, and so th- these were like, I guess like guerrilla generals that were yeah, ex- a part yeah, of like exactly. the, the, the resistance or something. Yeah. Cause she, she called them something. And I can't remember what she calls them. And she says, you know, cause one of them scoops her up, but he doesn't, she goes willingly is the thing. Like you just see him scoop her up onto the horse with him and they go away. And so then later on, there's this rumor that, you know, uh, cause there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people in the, uh, you know, friends and people in town that come over and they're very like uh, chismosos and um, they're telling Doña Elena, oh, I heard she's working in a brothel, you know, Gertrudis. So, of course, she's just so upset about this. And um, so she kind of like burns her birth certificate and everything and tries to just banish the memory of her daughter. And um, but Gertrudis actually comes back and she's like a general herself. And she's married this guy. And, and the rumor also is, and the reason that the, that Tita Rosaura and Gertrudis, their father, dies in the beginning of the film, he hears the rumor that Gertrudis was not actually his child, that, the, that Doña Elena had him, her with someone else. And so that's a whole, like, he starts to have this, it, it's literally at the very beginning of the film because Tita's a baby. Yeah. And so she's left as a widow, you know. And um, so... Getrudis has this like very fiery spirit in her that she gets from, you know, uh, uh, her real father. And so she comes back and uh, Doña Elena, I forget, she passes away. She has like a heart attack because. um, uh, Doesn't she get killed though? Yeah. Well, what happens is the, the, um, these, they're kind of not, I don't even know what you'd call them. These men come to the ranch and they come in and they, um, they basically, I mean, they don't really show, they don't show it. Of course it's implied, but they basically rape um, Chincha. Chincha who was like the, she's like one of the the housemaid, I guess you could say. So they rape Chincha and Doña Elena. And because they're just, they attack them. Uh, Doña Elena ends up dying from that. Uh, Chincha lives, but um Doña Elena dies and so her spirit keeps coming back and uh, haunting Tita because Tita is still in love with Pedro. And so, I mean, in the end, Rosaura has a baby with um, Pedro. And then uh, this is also another aspect of the realism that you were talking about. So since Tita is a virgin... She's not going to produce breast milk. But because of this, uh, the way that Pedro looks at her, like she's, I think she's down uh, rolling the maíz to make the tortillas. And so her her blouse, her dress is kind of open so he can see through. And that look on her breast turns it into, it's no longer a virgin breast. And she can actually breastfeed her nephew because the mom, (laughs) because Rosaura couldn't. And it's that whole magical realism where you're like, okay, that's, that's a little weird. Like, how could you do that? You're not even, you know, you, you weren't even with child. So uh, that's another aspect of the realism. But when you were saying that um, Pedro, uh, someone catches on fire. So when Tita finally banishes that evil spirit of her mother away, 
the mother doesn't, you know, before she completely leaves, she like, uh, you see this little, it's like um, an orb of the mother going away. But before she leaves, because all the guys are outside singing, you know, borrachos and everything. And so she hits the fire and, and pushes it onto Pedro. You just see the the flames jump onto him. And that's when Rosaura starts to notice because Tita's holding his hand as they're coming up the stairs. And he's like, Tita, no, don't leave me. And and Tita looks at Rosaura and it's that moment of like that uh, rivalry where Rosaura looks at her like, you know, how dare you? That's my husband. And Tita goes like, she looks directly at Rosaura and goes, don't worry, Pedro, I will never leave your side. You know, that like, ooh, <laughs> sort of thing. And so then, of course, you know, Tita takes care of him. And there is a the family doctor. His name is Dr. Brown, and he lives in, in Texas. So he comes over to Mexico to take, you know, um, to take care of Pedro and to take care of, you know, he came to deliver the baby. And so he ends up falling in love with Tita. And once her mom is gone, then he asks Tita to marry him. But of course, she doesn't, she's still in love with Pedro. So she doesn't end up marrying Dr. Brown. And then at the end, like, um, the daughter that then the son that Rosaura had, he, he dies. Uh, and so then the, uh, she had, they have another child who is, who's the daughter and the daughter ends up marrying the son of Dr. Brown. And Rosaura has passed away at this point at the wedding. And so Pedro and Tita can finally be together. But the way that Rosaura passes away, it's kind of funny. It's pretty comical. Yeah. <laughs> She's basically farting her ass off. Like she, yeah, she farts herself to death. death. <laughs> she farts herself <laughs> to death. And like, cause Tita's basically reminiscing about, oh, you know, how, Tita, how Rosaura died. So you see Pedro coming in with coals, trying to like, it, it's incense basically back then. And you just hear, fur, fur. <laughs> and the way she dies, she's like, uh, her, she's just laying there with her eyes open. Like just, yeah, she basically. That, that's gotta be like one of the most creative movie deaths ever, right? right? Like you're farting, farting yourself <laughs> you're to farting death. Yourself to death. <laughs> oh my God. I, 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 that, that, it's probably one of my favorite death scenes of all time. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. To death. Uh, but she basically, so Tita and Pedro can finally be together. And, and then uh, the way Tita and Pedro die at the end. So to kind of, I'm trying to wrap this up. Sorry. There's just so much to talk about in the movie. There is this, again, um, a magical realism with, Dr. Brown is explaining chemistry to Tita and he tells her um, about lighting. It's something about lighting a match within you. Everyone has that uh, like matchbox within them. And when you meet the right person, it ignites it. And then this like, and, and they show a sketch of like a portal opening. And then it's a, and then it's shadows of a man and a woman. So at the end, when Tita and Pedro are in the barn and they're like you know they finally consummate their they their... finally consummate their love um pedro like just kind of like uh he dies he and he you know his she's notices his eyes are open he's not moving 
So she grabs a bunch of matches and she starts to eat the matches and she holds on to him. And all of a sudden this fire ignites and you see just like the sketch that they show you in the beginning, like a foreshadowing, this portal opening. And you see that same shadow, but it's Tita and Pedro, the same shadow looking. So that that foreshadowing was was kind of cool, too, because that's how you, you see the ending. Basically, they they end up together forever. Yeah. Um, so Pedro basically is so happy to have sex with her finally that he dies oh of a God. heart. Well, they he actually, dies of a heart attack. They had sex before, but that was like a quickie or something. <laughs> so it doesn't like, count. This is yeah. That, that one didn't count, like because that one she got pregnant, but then she uh, she she just you know she yeah, so or she ended up being late or something like that because she said that it wasn't she wasn't pregnant anymore. Um, so quickies don't count. It's got to be magical. Yeah, it's got to be magical, and you have to um, you have to eat a match. You have to eat a match. <laughs> you have to okay. eat a whole match box. Don't mind me. I'm taking notes here. I'm just <laughs> taking notes. <laughs> and make sure you have a barn with a bunch of candles that just appear there. Yeah, and fart yourself to death. And fart yourself to death. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I probably just, I went maybe a little too much to deal there, but there's just, there's so much to talk about. Like there's so many things you have to know about, you know, to, to story, but yeah, yeah, no. And, and just to wrap up. So the young woman who's narrating this whole story, this is her. So, um, Tita's niece, the one who, uh, ends up marrying Dr. Dr. Brown's son, Alex. Um, I can't remember what her name is i don't know why i can't remember what her name is Is it esperanza esperanza that's right esperanza. which which is spanish for hope yes so there's exactly. definitely there's an allegory there for sure yeah so esperanza's daughter is the one who at the very opening of the movie she's sitting in a kitchen and she's talking about the these stories and the recipes from her great auntita and her mom, um, Esperanza, and that whole story. So at the end, you see um, Esperanza and Tita appear behind her as she's telling the ending of the story because it ends with her again. It's really cool that so she's using she's utilizing these like the cookbook, all these recipes from the cookbook to make food. So, I mean, I think that's probably like my favorite part or my favorite theme of the, the entire movie. Like how not only you put a part of yourself into the food that you make, but also these recipes are like almost like a legacy that gets passed down. Sort of like in other societies, you have actual like physical heirlooms that get passed down. Mm -hmm. This is a type of heirloom as well that's like, not as physical, maybe physical in the sense that it, it's like a recipe book, but the the ideas and the concepts and the recipes and this stuff that you put into yourself. It's beautiful. It, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I guess that that would be a really great segue into let's talk about the food in this film, not just about the film itself. Yes. Oh, <laughs> the food. Yeah. And it's really great because like again the how each meal sort of represents something you've got the wedding cake which brings about this you know longing for lost love the sorrow that comes with yes. it yeah. then you've got the quail with the rose petal sauce that causes intense lust 
and all of these like different meals that sort of get associated with a particular mood, a particular emotion. Um, what is, was there a meal or something that, that you said to yourself, like, I've got to make this at some point. I know you said you haven't made anything yet, but what would you try to make out of all the recipes? I would really love to make the quail with the rose petals. That really? Is, that to me, it's probably the most challenging one, but. Is it? Seeing that, it looks the most challenging to me. Um, it might not be. I haven't completely gone through the, the. Um, I think I've skimmed through the ingredients on, on in the book, but the preparation and everything I haven't yet. Um, but I, I just, I thought that was, I don't know, using whenever there's plants in whenever people end up like rosemary or thyme or jasmine or anything, when people take full on, you know, flowers and plants and, and just incorporate them into food. I, I love that. So the rose petals and the quail, just like that to me, it, it really, I, I think from the time I, I saw this movie as a kid, I loved that meal was always my favorite. And I will, I promise you, I will make it this day and we will, we can talk about it on a podcast again. I will tell you yeah. how easy or difficult or tips. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that, that was probably my favorite. What about you? I've only seen the movie. I don't, I've have never read the book, but so I didn't know that the actual recipes were incorporated in the um in the book like i didn't know that you actually get like the full recipes it's really cool it's and they again they if you if you get the book which i highly recommend to also get the book it's not a very long read um and it books are always great if if a movie is based on a book it's always great to read the book too um it does it, it'll say in monthly installments. So it'll, it actually goes through like January and it tells you what recipe that is. And it goes through the story and then February. And yeah, it, it's pretty interesting because it'll link certain meals with certain um, seasons. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Like, you know, you'll have like nopales during and, and um, roscadares like uh, for, for um, like Christmas and, oh. and all that. And like all, that time, you know? Yeah. And you don't get that in the movie. Like, I just know those like it's like two, three specific recipes that get addressed in the, in the actual right. movie. Right. Exactly. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, the ones that I, I really <laughs> want to make at some point is the Torrejas de Natas. Oh, yeah. I absolutely. I, I love that idea. And to all of our listeners, Torrejas de Natas is sort of like the Mexican version of I guess French toast or like a fritter. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, Sabrina. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like a French toast or a fritter. Um, basically it's, you've got your eggs, flour, cinnamon, milk, and syrup. And the natas are, it's sort of like a foam that you, you have to boil the milk. And traditionally you would use unpasteurized, freshly obtained milk directly from the cow. Like we're talking like just you know, freshly the squeezed from table. freshly squeezed from the cow titty, <laughs> like with, <laughs> within the hour. <laughs> that that's your your that's you would take that milk, boil it, and then all the uh, the foam that builds up, that would be your your natas. Yeah, uh, what would be called the nata. Um, you take that foam, and you mix it with egg yolks, 
only. And you fry that mixture. So you take the egg yolks with the natas and you fry it in a pan with some lard and you end up with like a circular disc, sort of like an omelet before you fold it. Mm -hmm. And you cut that disc into square pieces. Then you separately whip the egg whites until they're nice and thick and you coat your square pieces with flour first. Then you put, you coat that in egg white, the egg white foam and you submerge your squares in oil until they fry and they get nice and like fluffy. And you can serve those fritters with a special syrup from made from piloncillo, which is sort of like unrefined cane sugar. Yeah, it comes the, in like, like the brown, the brown cane sugar, and it you mix like that. Cone. Yeah, what is that? They look like um, like little cones. Yeah, like little cones, but they're brown. Really big cones too. They use it to make cafe de olla. Yeah, yeah, and you mix that cane sugar with like cold water and the egg whites. You add a little bit of anise and clove, and that's your syrup that goes on top of the fritter, and you serve that. So it's more like a breakfast food, I think, but. I've always been a big fan of breakfast foods. I love pancakes. I love waffles. Um, pancakes are my jam, though. <laughs> so I <laughs> think that's... you haven't made this? I have not made this, but I, I thought... This sounds an awful lot like you made this. Oh, believe me, I've I've looked into it. I just, I'm I like, have... I'm like, are you sure you don't have the book? Because <laughs> you're, like, reading it from, well, first, do you want to set the oven? Wait, what? I'm like, yeah, Guilty. I want to make the quail with rose petals. That's it. <laughs> Guilty as charged. No, I just, I, I'm, you know me, like I'm a big, uh, I, I like to, I, I research things first before I do stuff. I, I like to research it thoroughly. Like, you know me with the whole cat thing, how I want to get a cat. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And, and that's been taking me forever. So listeners, I, I, at some point I will have, I will be the, the proud owner of a cat, but for Can now. Can you do a podcast about that? Can that's we find a, a cat movie and please? That's a separate. Podcast? That's a separate podcast. The the cat podcast. We will find some. No, we will find a cat and food movie because yeah. we need to talk. We need to talk about that on air, Josh. I don't know what what would be a good cat and food movie like Garfield or something. Lasagna. Yes, that. Or, you know what? We will come up with a list because. Um, you. I mean, I'm surprised you don't have one already since you're researching this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I t- I'm telling you, I, I have I have a few um, YouTube videos uh, favorited on my browser, and that's how I know so much about how to make torrejas de natas. Because oh, wow. yeah, at some at some point, I definitely will attempt to make this. Um, I think it'll be a good thing. Yes, and we have to talk. So we have to make these. We have to at some point make these meals, and then we have to uh, we have to do even if it's a short episode. We have to talk about what the process was for anybody else who out there who's who's interested in doing the same thing absolutely yeah no we we definitely have to do like a a follow-up on this on this particular episode and 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 see uh how those uh, those recipes turned out for both of us well and i think yours i think that um when getrudis comes back i think she's like telling tita oh my god can you please make those for me again because they're her favorite and um uh, I think that's how that recipe ties in to it's one of those where they do kind of talk about it in, in, in the movie, um, but they don't focus on it as much as they did, like the wedding scene and, and the quail and um, the nopales and, and watching them make everything. 
Yeah, all, all I can say is when I saw the movie, those the Torrejas de Natas are the ones that stood out to me the most. I was watching, I was like, oh man, I got to look into this. I got to <laughs> see how to make this. You paused the movie. <laughs> the French toast. I probably did. Um, I Just believe to, it. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, well, I guess any any memories, anything aside from maybe not necessarily tied to the story, but any sort of food memories that that come to mind uh as a result of watching this movie anything in particular maybe to your your personal life anything that that you saw in the movie that made you think of something that ties into your life uh regarding food or or just in general yeah anything that you saw that you said oh wow like this is so similar to maybe something um, in my life i think the whole um this uh, traditionalism this ridiculous and it, and it's very common also in latin culture um the traditionalism and and um not necessarily the youngest daughter having to not be able to marry sort of thing but um there there is a lot of traditionalism rooted in our culture and um especially as a female you get the whole you know, there is the, well, now you're married, now you get pregnant, you have to have kids, like you, you need to have kids. And so I think even, even in that, cause you know, it's like, oh, the next step Rosaura has to have a, have a child. And, um, I think for me being, I guess, a modern woman, I don't feel like I'm, I'm engaged. I'm getting married in three months and I don't feel like, you know, the question keeps being, oh, when are you, when are you going to, when are you going to have a baby? When are you going to have a baby? And it's like, well, I, I don't think I want to have a kid, actually. I'm I'm kind of content just because, and again, it's rooted. I mean, you look at this is back in the 1800s, 1900s, where that is your job as a woman. You cook, you have babies. That's kind of where it, it just, the tradition continues and continues. And it, it's not so much, it's kind of being, breaking that barrier uh, nowadays, which I, I love. But I still get that even from my own family, that same question of, okay, when are you going to have a kid? When are you going to have a kid? And it's like, I have one. He has four legs and a tail. <laughs> like, that's good enough for me, you know? Yeah, um, those social expectations just kind exactly, of. Exactly, exactly. It's becoming a thing where I, I don't think it's appropriate to ask that anymore. I think. Uh, you know, not that it's not sensitive, but it's like, okay, because I've, I've had people ask me once and I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. You know, everybody wants to see us having a kid, wants to see a little me, a, a mini version of me running around. But uh, at the same time, I'm like, ask me once, that's okay. But I keep getting this, oh, have you thought about it more? And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> um, But definitely that looking at the whole expectations of women and, and traditions and everything, it, it um, especially in Latin culture. And, and, um, and I, I come from a, a lineage of very strong women. Um, you know, my, my great grandmother was a fencer in the Mexican Olympics in the 1930s. I think it was 1932. She actually carried, she was the first to be bestowed with the honor of carrying her country's flag um, as a female fencer. So uh, I've got I've got some strong roots <laughs> and very unconventional. You know, she wasn't. Yeah, my every every woman in my family can cook. It is kind of a rite of passage, but not in the sense that we're expected to be, you know, cooks in the kitchen for our husbands and everything. We just we know how to throw down in the kitchen because we want to. And so I I, I do that that connection with every, you know, Tita being able to every everyone being able to cook 
that that really kind of that of course re- resonated with me. Yeah, and you know, Sabrina, I'm I'm actually really really glad I I I asked you that question because I I think for sure like besides the food, there's really no doubt about it. Like this movie is not just about the food; it's also largely about a woman who is has her entire life frustrated because of this very rigid and traditional society that she lives in. And I mean, it's a common theme in women back in those days. I mean, I'm sure it happens now, but uh, definitely in, in, in societies where it's a very rigid traditionalistic society, um, you're going to have women that have certain goals, certain aspirations, whether it's relationship wise or if it's career wise. And they have those goals frustrated because of other people in their lives. Sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a woman, like in Tita's case, her own mother um, frustrated those goals because she says, you know, Hey, like you have to do things how I see them. And it it sort of derails your life in, in many regards. And that was actually part of the reason why I wanted to ask you that question because um, I mean, I haven't had that particular experience as, as a male living in, in the U S but coming from uh, a Mexican heritage, Mm -hmm. I I definitely, I, I watched this movie and I saw a lot of the circumstances I saw a lot of the things with what my parents told me about their lives and their Mm. relationship, Uh, particularly uh, when my father married my mom, his mom did not approve of the marriage. Really? Do you have this like one person who is so domineering and says like, no, you have to do things how, how I want them. And you know, my son has to marry this particular type of woman and not, the woman that he actually picked. Yeah. And so it just kind of like, I saw that like in, in Elena, how she's this like domineering woman wants to like impose her will on the whole family. Um, Did you ever, did you ever meet your grandmother? I never did. And I mean, from what I was told, I don't think uh, <laughs> I would have enjoyed. I don't think I. don't think I would have enjoyed meeting this woman. She sounded yeah. like a, a, a horrible, yeah, uh, very you know, domineering person who was uh, uh, unfortunately very much brainwashed by her fundamentalist religious beliefs, uh. and so she was just that type of person that uh, I think you know utilized yeah. religion as a way to sort of like wedge her herself into other people's lives and sort of impose her will and then throw her book at everybody throw her book at everybody yeah but um yeah i mean like i said i my parents had a a beautiful marriage a wonderful relationship that Mm -hmm. i never saw them angry or mad at each other for a long time i was sort of like uh, unwillingly i was like my mom's therapist because a lot of the stuff she would tell me you know, like, oh, your grandmother would say this, or, and she would say all these like hurtful things, and I was just kind of like, mm, okay, just like absorbing all yeah. all this information. And it's probably very foreign to you because you don't expect something like that. You, you know? don't, yeah, you don't, you don't. But um, but on the flip side of that, once my father passed away, uh, back in 2017, I started 
going i i was never much of a cook i in fact i still don't consider myself much of a cook i know many of my friends listening to this podcast are gonna say that's not true but yeah. i would not consider myself much of a cook i just i do what i can in the kitchen just to get by i mean i know you did a whole movie about you burning a hawaiian pizza but <laughs> i think that was um i think that was a tall tale <laughs> i do what i can to survive but i i i'm no i'm no chef ramsay that's for sure <laughs> Who would want to be chef <laughs> But I've definitely turned more towards cooking. Uh, when my father passed away, I, I sort of relied on that as a way of coping with my Ooh, father's loss. And for, I would say maybe like two, three years after he passed away, I, I went through this like phase where I was just like cooking new dishes, new recipes nonstop. Like every single weekend I had a new recipe on my list. I got, okay, like, what am I making today? I'm making cannolis. Oh, what am I making today? I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Like all sorts of things. But I feel like it was a way for me to sort of like distract myself. And so that's another cool thing that I noticed when I started, when I watched uh, like water for chocolate, I think that again, putting your, a bit of yourself into the food that you make yeah. uh, a bit of your emotions. And so it's a, it's a, it's a healthy, positive way of like focusing negative energy into something and again that's why i think this was a, a, just such a perfect choice for our first episode sabrina yeah absolutely and i mean the the connection that you and i both have with it um i think that's that is amazing that you were able to use uh experimenting with new dishes and and being adventurous in the kitchen as a way of therapy um dealing with your your father's death i you should you should blog about that sort of thing you know your experience because i i i mean there's probably other people that that don't know how to cope with um the loss of a loved one i certainly had a really hard time when i lost my grandmother my abuelita that was the first time i lost somebody close to me because she was like a mother to me she was one of those type of grandmothers um i spent every weekend with her um, there were, again, the whole, you know, food makes you nostalgic of people. And she, when I would come over on Sundays, she would make me chicharrones con salsa verde. Mm. And I, to this day, it's one of my favorite things to make. And it's very easy. You're just making the, you know, the salsa verde, the green salsa in a blender. And, and then you just basically you buy a bunch of chicharron and you, you just put it in a pot and boil it, add some water and, and there you go. And, uh, it's very simple, but it's something that she, I can, I, I associate with her. There are a um, couple dishes <clears throat> that I, but that one in particular, I associate with her and uh, making that always makes me think of her and it makes me happy. But I, I had a hard time when she was gone. So I, um, cooking would have probably, cooking more probably would have been a good, a good therapeutic thing for me to do. Yeah. My, my mom actually, because my mom was definitely like the big cook in the family. Um, now that she's a lot older, like she just kind of, she doesn't have it in her anymore. I don't think she has like the, the strength or the motivation. So it kind of mm -hmm. fell on me. Um, but I mean, when in her prime, like she was definitely like, you know, compiling a, like a, a recipe book. And, and so I'm taking all those recipes that are written in Spanish and sort of, uploading them to my to to my uh 
laptop and to the cloud in case anything happens. Oh, uh, I still have those recipes. Uh, so I think it's, it's a definitely a good way. Food helped me cope with my father's loss. And I feel like compiling all these recipes that belong to my mother is a way of sort of preparing myself to cope when she, for the day when she passes. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a good legacy. It's, it's a, a wonderful heirloom that, in many ways is a lot more valuable than any sort of like ring or jewelry, anything that physical that you might get um, because that sort of heirloom stays with you for many generations. You can keep recreating those memories every time, every time you cook that recipe or those recipes, you can recreate those memories. You, you, it's not like, like you say, if they left you a, you know, a, um, some sort of vase or something you can look at it and, and, and it reminds you of them, but every time you cook, it's a different, you know, it's a different, I don't know, memory of them every time you make that meal. So it just, it kind of revives the, the, the whole thing. Yeah. And I, for everyone listening, I have met Josh's mom and she is an amazing woman. She is very sweet. (laughs) And the first time I met her, she, she was like, I immediately, She's one of those people that you meet and you feel like she's been your family forever. She's she's a beautiful, beautiful soul. Oh, thank you so much, Sabrina. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess with that, we wrap up this episode. Um, so I guess our, our next episode will probably be look for that in about a month. Uh, we hope to uh, put out new content once a month. Um, as we mentioned in the preview episode, or the preview trailer, I should say. Uh, we're just doing this for fun. Uh, we realize that the uh, the medium of podcasting is pretty saturated right now. There's a lot oh, yeah. of choices out there. <laughs> uh, so we thought about it long and hard, what we wanted our, our niche to be, what we wanted to talk about. And I think uh, food and film is something that uh, you don't see very often. I think there's a lot of podcasts out there that focus on the technical aspects and as a film major I could talk about the technical aspects all day long but I don't think it's it's particularly uh, a fresh topic in the um the the podcasting universe so I I I think Sabrina and I uh this was part of the reason why we wanted to to go in in a separate direction that feels a little bit more organic a little bit warmer more um something that that we can touch base with with our our listeners on a much more uh deeply personal level than just the uh the cold hard facts yeah so and um, i mean us both being foodies too you know there's a lot of foodies out there and and to connect that to film those two loves of cinema and food is uh it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing yes ma'am uh all right well i guess that wraps it up any any final thoughts sabrina uh no i i think i went off on a serious tangent trying to explain the movie to everyone no you did you did just fine (laughs) it's it's good uh but yeah i i i mean i really can't uh everybody just you have to go see that you have to watch that movie it's oh my god it's such a beautiful movie it's or read the book yeah or read the book or both uh it's it's so metaphorical and, and it's, uh, I think everyone can relate to it in some way or another male or female. And uh, yes, you have, please everybody go do yourself a favor and go watch that movie. 
And, and please subscribe and follow our podcast. I don't, we don't have any social media at the time. Uh, we're, we're just getting this off the ground, but um, please rate, review, and subscribe. We hope to bring you more content in the future. So that that's all for now. And see you soon. Or <laughs> guess not see you soon, but you'll, you'll hear us soon. <laughs> Bye. Film Du Jour, hosted by Sabrina Azul and Josh Hernandez. Produced by me, Josh Hernandez. Music by Studio LaBus, used with permission through premiumbeat.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or Google Podcasts.